You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou. We had a nice weekend of no stress, no stress caused by the Arsenal anyway, and our women did us proud, of course, in their victory over Chelsea. But there is, as always, plenty to talk about when it comes to the men's side, and I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by the brilliant Faisal from Twitter, from the Latte firm, Faisal. Long-time follower of yours on Twitter. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. First of all, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. And it's a pleasure to be on your show, man. I've been watching your stuff. You're a pro. It's very smooth. I, I look on in awe. Um, but it's, it's nice to talk about football, man. So I'm really pleased to, have, to, to be on. Thanks, Harry. You are too kind, my friend. Too kind. But no, pleasure to have you on. And before we get into the kind of conversation... I want to give you an opportunity and I give you another opportunity at the end, but to plug your channel because it has, it's one of those channels that's grown in my opinion, really, really quickly. And it's, it's because the content is so good. So well done on that. Um, I'm a regular viewer. So uh, give our viewers and listeners uh, a bit of a steer into how they can get involved, uh, check your channel out and uh, get subscribed. Wow. Um, well, thanks a lot for the kind words. I really appreciate it. So yeah, for those of you guys who are watching, uh, I have a channel called Latte Firm. It's a lighthearted play on the fact that we used to have hooliganism and firms in the 70s and 80s. And now the modern day fan, or certainly me and my friends, <laughs> will get a, a warm beverage on the way to the ground. And so it was just a lighthearted play on that. Um, I just wanted to put something different out into the YouTube space, man. I mean, I've, you know, we've all been working from home during this awful pandemic. I wasn't going to games and I go home and away. So for me, it was just a, a release that I needed, a bit of a distraction away from work and kids and stuff. You know the drill. Yep. So <laughs> I, I started it up. But yeah, a few, uh, like you say, three, three and a bit months ago, um, it's rocketed. And I'm so delighted and grateful that I've got like loyal sort of viewers and people who plug my stuff all the time, including yourself and so many people that are watching. I'm just grateful, man. And the guests are what make the show. You know, I just ask the questions and there's a little bit of prep work to do, as I'm, as I'm sure you've seen. But um, so far, so good, man. And you know what? I'm loving it. Like, it's it's so much fun to talk about Arsenal. I wish it was under more positive circumstances, but, you know, it's uh, it's good fun, man. And it keeps me out of trouble. Yeah, for sure. It's good fun. It gives you some time away from the uh, hassle of the house, as I always say. Uh, for me, I always pop down to the back of the garden, into the man cave, and there we go. There we go. <laughs> That's my time to, to chill and time to unwind. Um, Faisal, lots and lots to talk about from the Arsenal world at the moment. And one of the episodes that we put out yesterday, we talked about the rumours that had surfaced with regards to Antonio Conte and the fact that there was this report that came out of Spain that said that Arsenal had put into place a preliminary agreement with the Italian. Now, that report has been rubbished by a... Uh, intermediary who's worked very closely with Antonio Conte in the past. However, Gabriel Marcotti, uh, speaking on ESPN earlier today, says that he's been told that some of Conte's representatives have approached Arsenal when Conte is looking to get back into the game. First of all, where are you on the whole Mikel Arteta thing? Because I, I'm very much of the opinion that if Antonio Conte is available, I'm sorry, Mikel, I, I like you, but 
your collateral damage in a sense for the the kind of for bringing in a top manager that I believe will get us to where we need to be quicker. But if Arsenal are going to mess around like they have done in years gone by for a month and then appoint someone who is equally as unproven or equally as, I guess, uninspiring, then I'm not really for that. So I don't really know where to kind of look at this. But where are you, first of all, on Mikel Arteta? Then we'll get your thoughts on Conte. Yeah, so look, on, on Arteta, um, do you know what? There's, there's two sides to this. Obviously, ex-player, association with the club, he has that goodwill as being an ex-player. And I liked him as a player, you know, even when he was at, at Everton. When he was first given the job, it was obviously post Unai Emery. I thought, do you know what? The club's going down the direction of having a young manager. They want to invest in a long-term project. Um, he came in, took us to Wembley. We won the FA Cup. Two really memorable performances against City and Chelsea, respectively. And then Community Shield just a few weeks later, right, against Liverpool, uh, albeit on a, on a shootout. And we went into that season last season with so much hope, with a real bounce in our step, thinking, right, this is it. We're going to we're going to climb and we're going to make a bit of progress. And then the way the season unfolded, you know, to finish eighth again, some of our football was really difficult to watch, if we're being brutally honest. And, you know, we're all lucky we've come from the Arsene Wenger class of football, right? You know, we've seen fast flowing, you know, finesse, skill, panache, like so, you know, really, you know, swashbuckling stuff. And all of a sudden we're, we're put in front of a team that decides to play everything down our left back. And it's, you know, one or two shots a game on target. So it's really dry. It was really difficult. Then, of course, Villarreal happened and we got embarrassed um, against Unai Emery, of course, who went on to win the cup. So all of a sudden that morale that I talked about sapped straight away, like completely destroyed. And we're in a situation now where we're thinking, well, look, any other manager is a way out. And I don't know if that's necessarily the right thing to do. It's a tough market. Uh, you know, COVID market, financial constraints, um, potential nationality issues with, you know, the Brexit rules that we keep sort of reading about. There's a lot of un unknown sort of unknowns, if you like. Um, so on the one hand, I think to myself, look, as a an ex-player and as our current manager who's young, who has won a couple of trophies and has demonstrated that he can adopt a bit of a game plan against tough, tough teams, I think to myself, okay, well, look, you know, if we give him two, three, four years and the profile of player that we've bought this summer would back that because we're going for the 22, 23, 24-year-olds. Uh, and I think, great. But on the other hand, like you say, Harry, I mean, we were guilty of this when when Arsene was in charge. If there's a top-class manager out there, a Diego Simeone at the time who I I, I really wanted, uh, we never obviously, never obviously got. Um, but like you say, in this situation, Antonio Conte, someone who's been at clubs around Europe and very successfully, uh, a big personality, takes no nonsense, very intelligent man. You think, well, you know, could we, can we afford to as a club turn this opportunity down? So I'm torn, man. I mean, to answer your question, but in a really long way, <laughs> I like Arteta. I think he has a lot of goodwill. I think the cup bought him a bit more goodwill. Last season was devastating. Um, I don't think we can judge him on the first three games of this season in terms of results. I mean, you know, Brentford away, opening game of the season, under the floodlight, season opener, first time fans are back in the stadium for a long time, first time Brentford are playing at home in the top flight for 40, 50 odd years. It was always a banana skin. And actually, had we have had any other fixture apart from Chelsea and City, maybe, you know, Norwich and Burnley the next two, we, we probably would have been all right. Yep. But Chelsea obviously was was disappointing. The manner of the performance was quite bad as well, being carved open time and time again down our left. City was embarrassing. And I think all of that just basically 
makes us feel like collectively like right this is awful we just need to get out of it but if the international break passes and we've got Norwich and Burnley and Spurs the big one if we can win three of three then all of a sudden it's actually well City and Chelsea is forgivable because they're on a different planet to us um Brentwood Brentford you know may as well be Brentwood actually sorry I don't mean that disrespectfully <laughs> to any Brentford fans watching but you know you can almost sort of forgive that as well but for me it's not about the results Harry man it's about performances and it's not as if we're you know knocking on the door and, and almost blowing it down in games you know we're not even laying a finger on let alone a punch and that's what's really disappointing so a lot of things have to change um and I think Mikel is on thin ice I think you know patience has run out amongst the fan base or a large proportion of the fan base and now that fans are back in the stadium man it's only going to get more toxic yeah completely agree with all of that and and it's one of those things where I've been looking back at kind of the games and and immediately when you watch Arsenal lose a game of football your first thought is well this is not good enough something needs to change and over time when you you kind of assess why we are where we are you start to realize that there have been a lot of factors that have worked against him in these opening three games I think you're right Brentford was in many ways, the perfect storm, wasn't it, in terms of a banana skin? Chelsea City, I completely agree with you. We're not on the same planet as those teams. I think, for me, the performances, though, like you say, it is the big, big problem. I mean, you look at Wolves as a prime example of a side who have started the season with some really, really good performances, but haven't picked up the results. But the feeling around Wolves is quite positive because people are seeing that they're doing the right things. And nine times out of 10, when you do the right things, the right results will follow over the course of the season. But with Arsenal, you're just wondering where it is that we're going and you're wondering whether Mikel Arteta has it in him to turn this around. Would you welcome somebody like Antonio Conte to the club? Because I know you mentioned the long-term approach and a young manager and the profile of players that we've brought in. Antonio Conte is almost the opposite to that. He is somebody who will come in for a couple of years, if you can manage to not piss him off in that couple of years, and then he'll probably move on. So would it be almost throwing the project in the bin if Arsenal were to appoint someone like that? Or would you take the kind of short-term benefits and just run with it? There's so many answers to that question. Look, first of all, to get any anyone off my back, there is no way I'd say no to Antonio Conte, right? If he turns up outside London Colney, he's got his coaching staff and he says, I want this job you'd be a fool to not have the conversation with him and talk about your project and talk about how much he can spend and what he can do and how much impact and influence he can have at the club, right? So yes, absolutely. You would always entertain a manager of his caliber. Um, do I want to move away from the project? The fan in me says, yes, absolutely. I mean, I just want success and I want it yesterday. I want success tomorrow. I want success. You know, I want to be at Wembley. I want to be winning the biggest, the biggest trophies. But when you think about, you know, we talked about City and Chelsea being in a different planet to us, right, Harry? And this is what gets me. I mean, I know we've spent the most out of all the Premier League clubs this summer. But let me put it to you like this. You know, you've got three mates, Sam, Bob and Tom. They all live in their mansions and they're all living in mansions with fully kitted, you know, furniture, high tech, all that sort of stuff. You live in a three bed semi, wherever it may be. And you've just spent loads of money on a TV this summer. And all the talk is going to be about you because you bought that TV. But everybody forgets that actually their houses are all done up. They've already got the fully, fully kitted tech. They've already got their furniture, but just because you've spent the most, everyone's going to be talking about you. And that's, that's how I think, I mean, I'm just trying to think on the spot here, but that's how I think Arsenal are like, you, you have to put into context how much we've not spent over the last five, 10, 
12, 15 years and how much City and Chelsea have spent and stockpiled all this talent that allows them to have the net spend now because they're they're selling all these players. So, look, when I look at the project, I think we're not going to, you know, we can't continue to spend like that. So Conte is not going to come in and make wholesale changes. He's not going to be able to, we're not going to be able to get rid of players any faster than we've tried to do this summer and last summer. So I do feel that, look, whilst I would be very much in love with the idea that all the romance of having Antonio Conte at Arsenal, I don't necessarily think the owners and the setup would suit someone like him and his personality. You know, he had talks. Um, I forget which club it was. There, wasn't there talks of him coming Spurs, wasn't it? Spurs. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, you know, there, I don't know how the, how the, what the truth was, but of course, you know, the, the reports suggested that he had chats with Levy. He wasn't entirely happy with the way that he was going to be allowed to spend or if Harry Kane was going to be sold and all that sort of stuff. And it just didn't quite work out. And I think, Conte is a man who knows what he wants. You know, he wants those those two, three years like you talked about. He's proved that at every club he's been at. He played some amazing football at Inter. I think they scored more than 100 goals in the season, two seasons running, which is phenomenal, with players like Ashley Young. I mean, you just come on. Um, so there's no doubt he's an amazing manager, but I don't know if the setup is enough for him at Arsenal to overtake Chelsea, City, United. I don't think he'd do that. So again, man, without answering your question, I mean... I'm in love with the idea of having a manager like that, but I don't necessarily think it would work. What do you think? Yeah, I know it's I, your show, but I need to get your thoughts. No, no, I, I think you make some really, really good points there. And and when we were talking about it initially yesterday, one of the things I said was, I feel like the environment at Arsenal actually might be one of the reasons that Antonio Conte probably will decide in the end, if indeed those talks did progress, that actually Arsenal's not the place for him because of that structure that you talk about. And I think we're in a place as a football club where we can sit and we can say that the transfer window was underwhelming. And I know a lot of Arsenal fans out there feel that way. But this is the only way. This is the only approach whereby Arsenal can close the gap on those sides you've mentioned. Because, you know, and Edu hit the nail on the head, I thought, in his interviews. had a lot of stick for this interview. And I'll, I'll come on to get your thoughts on that in a minute. But he said something like, the reason we've had to bring in six players is because we don't have a structure. We don't have a foundation. And maybe in a few years time, we will be the Chelsea, the Manchester City, who could spend a large proportion of our transfer budget on just one or two players because we'd be in that position where we have the foundation already there. So I agree with you that the, the environment wouldn't be one that Conte would be used to. Um, and I agree with you that having spent all the money we have now, that we're probably not going to continue to do this over the next couple of years. We will be a little bit more selective, a little bit more kind of reserved in the transfer market, I'd imagine. But it's just some of the things that I see Mikel Arteta doing tactically and in game, I do feel like a more experienced and, and coach at a higher level would would get them, I don't know, would get it right more often. And so I'm kind of in a place now where I'm worried about Arsenal sliding down further and further and further to the point where I'm probably now at a place where I just think if we could bring someone in who maximises what we have and it gets us into the Champions League or there or thereabouts, then we can relook at it again. Because I, I don't, I look at this project and I like the idea of it. I understand the need to bring in young players and all of that stuff. I just don't know if it's enough, given 
that United, City, Chelsea, Liverpool are all on a different level. And then you've got clubs like Leicester who have been so much smarter in their recruitment and in their selling. And then you look at people like Tottenham who, you know, have, in my opinion, a world-class striker in Harry Kane. And we don't really have that. So I still feel like we're behind and I don't know if this is enough. And there I've gone around the houses, but that's kind of the way I'm looking yeah, at it. Know, it's, not, it's not binary, right? It's not just a simple yes, no answer. I mean, you have to... You have to add context, you know, that you have to have a nuanced approach to these things. I mean, we talk about signings, right? So the six signings we've made this summer, we're all assuming that they're all going to be a hit. They're all going to be starters. They're all going to make an impact. But naturally, if you look, you know, just looking at his- history alone, three or four of those will probably work. One or two may not work. So we'll have to think about shifting those on in, in maybe, you know, two or three years time. Then you, and, and the rebuild continues. I mean, there's no way that Arsenal are ready to go into the winter transfer window to spend 40, 50 million pounds, let's say, on Eve Basuma and be done with it because there are still so many gaps in the squad. And that's why I think, you know, Antonio Conte coming in, yes, amazing manager of the highest caliber, amazing people manager, you know, no nonsense, speaks his mind, aggressive, passionate, all the things that you love to see on the touchline. But is he really going to have that much faith in a project like this when Edu and Vinay have spelt spelt out that this is going to be the way that we're going to work? And that's why I don't think we're going to get him. So, so yeah, look, I'm in romance. I'm in love with the, with the romance associated with having someone like Conte, but I just don't think it will happen. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that at the moment as well. And part of that is because I don't want to get into a place where I believe Antonio Conte is coming and then be disappointed. Um, but, you know, look, a lot of people have given me criticism over the last year or so because I've I've been a little bit more reluctant to say get Mikel out than I was when Unai Emery was in charge. And often I get asked, well, why are you so much more kind of lenient when it comes to Mikel Arteta in comparison to how you was with Unai Emery? Well, first of all, I think Arteta has inherited a bigger mess. And second of all, I expected more from Unai Emery because he was a seasoned professional manager. And and in Mikel Arteta, we we understand that there are shortcomings, but we knew that this was going to happen. We knew that there would be a massive risk in bringing in somebody who hadn't done the job before. So I think the club made the decision to, to look at the long term and they've gone with that. And their recruitment strategy this summer, whether you think it's the right strategy or not, indicates that that is what they want to do. And that is what they're going to stick with for a little bit longer. And and I guess, you know, we won't really know until we give it a bit of time if it's actually going to be the right thing. I, I guess the fan base in general have run out of patience. But I mean, I, I, I'm very much of the opinion, uh, Faisal, that when you're in the ground, you know, you just got to get behind the boys and and support them. And, and do you feel like there is a little bit too much toxicity, if you like, out there at the moment? Or, or does that get amplified by social media? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, look, first and foremost, fans are completely entitled to express their opinions, right? This is what you and I are doing right now. Yeah. It's what thousands, millions of people do around the world. I'm not one of those matchgoers who think just because I go to a match, I'm, my my opinion is more important or more valuable than anybody else's. Everybody's allowed to their opinion. I don't think it's toxic in the ground yet. I think it will be if it, if we continue to go on this trajectory in terms of playing style. If we're not, you know, we had one shot on goal at Man City and I think that was the end. Well, it wasn't even on goal. It was just one shot. It was the Emil Smith throw blocking, you know, Edison when he had the ball at his feet. And, you know, I don't even know if you can even count that as a shot. But <laughs> I think if our playing style doesn't change, if we don't start becoming more creative, if we don't start, 
you know, creating more chances, scoring more goals, getting more points on the board. Yes, the toxicity is going to to, to ramp up. Um, I think the ground at the moment, I think the fans are behind the team. I think the fans just want to be excited. I mean, Harry, it's not even about points, performances. I think they just want to go into a game where they have a belief that we are going to beat the opposition. You know, we used to do it under Arsene Wenger where you'd play mid-table, you know, relegation fodder pretty much, and you knew. It doesn't matter who would play. You'd come away thinking, right, we're going to batter this lot today. And the big games, you know, away from home, you thought, all right, we're going to lose this today or we'll get battered today, whatever. But there was always that sense of you knew where you were, whereas with Arteta, it's so unknown. Like, you could go into a game, and I'm thinking, well, everyone's saying, well, Norwich are going to get pummeled, right? But are they? Will they? You know, what's the guarantee that we're going to come out without any other approach than give it to Tierney, chuck it into the box and sort of close your eyes and hope for the best. I mean, if things don't change on the pitch that way, then, you know, fans are going to be a lot more vocal. And, and you know, you're right. The final point, social media, it does amplify things. I like that word. Um, I think in the heat of the moment, when you're frustrated, you can express freely and, and, and it often gets caught up by non-Arsenal fans, by the media. And then that's portrayed as, as a general sort of headline to, to to brush all Arsenal fans with. Um, and sadly, it's always the sensational stuff that sticks, right? And, and that's why um, some characters, some reactions uh, are more pertinent in your minds uh, when, when you think about the negative time. So look again, you know, Arteta is having a tough time. He's a man under immense pressure. The fans have lost it. The modern, you know, we are an emotional mess. And I, I include myself in that. I'm sure you've had, had your moments. <laughs> Me too. I, don't, I don't put myself higher or lower than anybody else, but you know, it's just a tough time at the moment, but we absolutely have to get behind the team. And I completely think that all the fans that go to games with me are completely behind the team. So no problem there yet. Yeah, just a, a couple of points on that. You mentioned the Wenger times and, and you're right. I think even at the very worst of Arsene Wenger, when we played even very good opposition at home, you always felt like Arsenal could score a goal could score a couple of goals and therefore we had a chance of winning the game. And now we're in a place where you look at those fixtures and you're like, it's just not going to happen. Well, in, um, in Arsenal's last season, Harry, sorry hmm. to interrupt, but in Arsenal's last season, you know, we, we hounded out a guy who had the second best Premier League home record that year. Our away form was, was dreadful. awful. I, I appreciate that. But again, you know, you, it just makes your point even more salient because you're beating homes comfortably, beating teams at home, sorry, comfortably. And as you'd expect. So, yeah, you know, pressure's been on Unai Emery and the pressure's definitely on, on Mikel Arteta. For sure. And another thing you, you mentioned a couple of times there, which is is absolutely spot on, is the the tactics, you know, the the approach, the the pattern of play, this over-reliance on our left-hand side. I've called it in the past as Arsenal being lopsided in the way they play football, that they everything's down the left. And we know that in the past, you know, some of Arsene Wenger's great teams played that way with Cole and Perez and Henri pulling out to the left-hand side, but that was very, very different because you were talking about world-class players and we still could hurt teams down the right-hand side when that needed to happen. I think for me, one of the big frustrations I've got with Mikel Arteta, and yes, people, I do have frustrations with Mikel Arteta despite me uh, sort of uh, defending him sometimes. I feel like some of the recruitment doesn't necessarily marry up to what it is that we're seeing on the pitch. So, for example, the whole Granite Xhaka thing. Now, I'm one of these people who, for the most part, has always said, I don't think he's the future, but I don't think he's the biggest problem at Arsenal Football Club. I think there are far more pressing concerns. I understood why Arsenal didn't want to sell him on the cheap this summer. But what I found very difficult to get my head around is 
the fact that we've asked him to play a little bit more further forward this season, that we've asked our midfield to press higher up the pitch, in which case keeping him made no sense. So that's one example. Throughout Mikel Arteta's tenure, we've played the ball down the left-hand side and looked to get crosses in the penalty area. And yet we've never looked at bringing in a striker who thrives on that kind of service. And, and there are just so many examples of that where the recruitment doesn't marry up to what it is we're seeing on the pitch. Is that something you're worried about as well? Yeah, massively. I mean, the style of play, I, I remember last weekend, I saw a stat that said that Arsenal had the highest XG for goals conceded this season. I know it's a very tiny sample size, three games, but also the least, uh, the lowest XG for obviously, you know, um, expected goals going forward. So that tells you, you know, defensively we're awful and going forward we're not so great. I am very, very anxious about playing all of our play down the left-hand side. I feel for Kieran Tin. I think it's a lot of pressure for him. When you see Aubameyang out on the, on the on, you know, left wing back, left wide forward, sometimes he's a passenger and he's, I know he's captain. He's very well rewarded, but his shoulders drop, his head drops. He's one of the first to, to kind of go on the pitch when I see that. So I'm very worried and nothing, nothing comes from the rest of the team. Um, you're right about our strategy. Uh, you know, if, if we are going to continue playing balls into the box, then yes, we absolutely need that sort of, you know, Olivier Giroud type sort of target man, Romelu Lukaku. I know we can all dream about someone like that, but, um, but you know, having that big target man, because Lacazette, no, Obama Yang, certainly not. Um, Balogun's young and Nketiah, you know, I just know. So, you know, we don't, we don't have that option. We haven't got that, that, that penalty area sort of dominant uh, striker who can, who can hold the ball up, who can head the ball in and, you know, that target man. So a lot of work to be done there, but, just just to pick up your point, Harry, about, you know, we are building for the future and whether it's Conte or not, one of the good things about this strategy is that it could outlive Mikel Arteta. So even if we were to yeah. get rid of Arteta, let's say December, any new manager, whether that's Conte or anybody else, they can come in and pick up a group of players that are 22, 23, 24. Um, and, you know, he, he, he can do something with that. And just a final point, I mean, in terms of squad building, if you think about Arteta's time, Obviously, the personalities, you know, to, to get rid of like your Urzils and your Mustafis, and there was a lot of Deadwood at the time. We've actually let go of 21 players over the last 12 months. That's a lot of outgoings for any, you know, top flight club. Um, so there's a lot of change there. And I think, you know, it's as much as I would love Enketia to go, El Neni to go, you know, and, and maybe one or two others in the squad it's not possible to do all of that in one or two windows. So there is an element of patience there. And I hate to use that word, but it's just, you know, these are facts. I can't, you can't fight that. So, so yeah, look, I'm, I'm anxious about a lot of things, but you know, Odegaard hopefully coming in will address some of that rebalance. Saka finding full fitness and maybe establishing himself on the right side of, of the forward three will hopefully address that as well. So, um, you know, we just have to wait and see the next three games, next five games, absolutely key. What did you make of, of the whole Edu interview? Because one of the things that a lot of people picked up on it, and actually I thought it was quite good that Edu came out and fronted up and explained the strategy. I thought it was actually going to get more people on board. I thought it was one of those things where even the critics would say, okay, I, I might not agree with it, but I get it. And the opposite has happened. In terms of the reaction to this, it's been, in my opinion, overblown. And now we've got Arsenal fans complaining that Edu never set out what our season objective is. And and for me, just because he didn't say it on camera, doesn't mean that there isn't an internal objective and doesn't mean that there isn't one full stop. It, it's just, if he had said, 
for example, and, and I was thinking about this the other day, had Edu said we want to improve on last season, if they were asked what his objective is, you know that a section of the fan base would have gone, well, Edu's only happy with seventh. That's not good enough. And and they just can't win sometimes. So what did you make of, of the interview itself? Did you think it was a smart move? And what did you make of the reaction to it afterwards? So again, there's a few answers to this, man, if, if I may. So, I mean, look, first of all, do I like the fact that Edu tried to engage with the fans and, and came out and did a television interview? I mean, I'm a bit disappointed that it came out on Sky Sports first. It maybe should have been through the club because it shows mm-hmm. that you're talking to the Arsenal fans. A bit like, um, I forget his name, but Christian, uh, what's his face? Aston Villa. Uh, after yep, they yep, sold, yep, yep. Or when they sold Grealish. You know, you do it via the club website. You do it via the fans. You're engaging with your fans. I think that's a good thing. Um, the fact that he came out on Sky Sports made me think, and the timing of it, you know, he did it at a time when Gary Neville was laying into us, when a lot of the, you know, the media journalists, uh, TV presenters are all talking about, you know, what, what is Arsenal's strategy? You know, Gary Neville, I remember, did a, a Sky Sports interview, I think that morning or the day before, he was saying, oh, I don't know what the Arsenal strategy is and you know, what are they trying to do over there? So it felt quite reactionary. And then the interview itself, um, I think if you were to ask Edu and Arteta, what is it that you want Arsenal to do? They will tell you that they just want the club to win. They want the club to be successful. Arteta, you know, I think it's well documented that he told Willian about Champions League yeah. qualification and winning within three years. And, and you know, we laugh about it, but it's a good goal to have. You know, if you want to get back into Europe's elite, you want to be at that top table, you want to have your own seat at that table, you want to be competing for the Premier League title. But I think they'd sound quite clownish if they came out and admitted that. I mean, could you imagine, Harry? Edu's asked the question, what's the ambition for Arsenal? He turns around and says, we want to win the title. I mean, people just be like, what are you, what? So it's quite, you know, on one side, it's like you're not ambitious enough. On the other side, deep down, Mikel Arteta probably thinks, well, why can't we have a Leicester 2015-16? Why can't we do something great this season? So I think deep down they want to win. And I think I, I completely agree with your point. They've probably got ambition that they don't need to spell out in every opportunity. Um, but the interview itself, I mean, look, um, I think it's... You're going to get mixed reaction because the fan, there's a lot of fans who aren't happy with our strategy this year. You know, they wanted yeah. those marquee signings that we've talked about. Um, as much as I appreciate that this is part of a long rebuild, yes, we've got rid of, of a few players. Yes, we've brought in some players of a very interesting profile. There are still gaps in the team, and that's what's probably upsetting most people. So you're never going to please everybody. And uh, and that you might be thinking, well, that's maybe enough reason to not do such interviews. But I quite like the fact that he's willing to front it up be on camera, try and explain, you know, we have to remember English is also not his first language. You know, he speaks much better English than I speak Portuguese, for example. So we have to, we have to forgive him for that. But, you know, the chap at Aston Villa, I forgot, what is his surname? Christian? Uh, oh, hold the, on a second. The, the, the CEO. You, you, you know who I'm talking about, right? Perslow, Christian per, Perslow. That's it. Yeah, but the it. way that he sort of articulated himself and sort of spoke to the Villa fans and said, look, we are selling Jack. This was the situation that unfolded. And these are the three profiles that we've gone for because it's all about replacing his output in the team, his productivity. Um, and I think, you know, Eddie's not going to satisfy everyone because we're such a, a mixed fan base. So, look, I like the interview. Uh, it was risky. It was brave. But it's just the timing and, and the format of it that I would question. He should have come out all guns blazing on Arsenal.com. As soon as he knew that the six signings were done, this is our strategy. Bear with us. You know, we want to win. We want to get back to the top, uh, but it's going to take some time. And maybe that's all he needed to have said. Yeah. 
No, great points. Great points. Guys, uh, for the last few minutes, we're going to take some of your questions from the live chat. So start popping them in there. Uh, put a little... Be nice. Be nice, yeah. guys. <laughs> Be nice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, put the queue at the beginning so that it's easier for me to pick them out of the live chat. It really does help uh, in terms of identifying them in the sea of comments. Uh, while we're waiting for you to get your questions in, I just want to quickly remind you all that this podcast is brought to you by manscaped.com. So for all your male grooming needs head over to the website uh check it out and if you enter the discount code uh, which is 90 min 20 you shall receive 20 percent off of your order as well as free worldwide shipping you can stand to save yourself a fair amount of money and become one of more than two million men worldwide who are currently manscaping your partners will thank us and of course if you want to get your pitch looking as lush hopefully not as green though as the emirate stadium turf then this is the product for you so head over lawnmower 4.0 manscaped.com and we thank them for their kind sponsorship right let's take some of these questions let's start with this one from abdallah who says that harry for the 130 million pounds that you spent do you not think it would have been wise to sign a top class center midfielder rather than a center back who is quite average to be honest i'm going to slightly spin that question uh faisal and put it to you do you think that arsenal overpaid for ben white and would you have preferred to see them spend it on a I don't want to say, how do I put this? A, a more ready-made replacement for David Luiz, I guess, is the, the way we should look at it. Yeah. Um, look, I, I think Ben White's going to be a terrific player. I have to be honest, I've, I've not seen more than maybe three or four games of him play. And I'm just going by everything that was said on the breakdown that we had and everything that all the fans have been talking about. Mikel Arteta wants a defender who can start play from the back. We, he wants a player who can carry the ball, progress the ball, and be part of that midfield when we're in when we're in attack, right? So that's his justification for it. I think I'm like Abdallah. You know, I personally would have liked to have seen us go for a Basuma, for example. You know, you go to Brighton with fifty million pounds and you come back with Ben White is the joke. Um, but Basuma would have been fabulous for us, you know. And I think if you look at our central midfield, that's probably the one area of the squad now where I feel we're really weak. Um, Granite Xhaka, you talked about everybody who knows me knows that I like him as a footballer, but Xhaka gonna Xhaka, he has his moments of madness, yep. moments of stupidity. But you can rely on him in the sense that he's ever present, he's fit, he's never had to rely on pace or mobility as part of his game. So he can go for the next three, four, five years at this uh, at this level. And he's a model pro. He's liked by all the managers and all the players in the, in the dressing room. Thomas Party is our best midfielder, Harry, but you can't rely on him in terms of fitness. You know, exactly. Orbino released a stat, I think, last week, two weeks ago, saying that over the last four seasons, he's missed a third of the games in each of those seasons. And you know, that's quite staggering. So if you can't rely on him, so Lukonga's new and Elneny is Elneny. So for me, to have a Bissouma in our, in our midfield would have been amazing. But we've bought Ben and hopefully he will develop a partnership with Gabriel and, and they're going to be the main two and, and he'll have the impact that Arteta wants. So, so yeah, I mean, look, my preference would have been... Uh, a midfielder like that, a midfield warrior like that, and a bit more of a rough round the edges centre back. I mean, you might laugh, but actually, you know, Dunk is someone that I would have quite liked to have seen a couple of years ago. Just that sort of no nonsense centre back to, to to play alongside your Gabriels and your, you know, even yeah. when Koscielny was around, we just wanted that rough, rugged uh, defender. But look, Ben White it is, and uh, that's just the way that Arsenal are gonna gonna go about their game this year. Indeed. Uh, this one from Luke Williams. Do you think that with the team we have, Wenger would have got the top four? We had worse teams than this and he managed it then. 
My view on this is is quite simple. I think that Wenger would have got more out of this team than Mikel Arteta because we'd have been a little bit more open, a little bit more expansive. I think he would have... I think Mikel in some ways has kind of tied one hand behind the backs of our attackers in, in some of the, the kind of tactical things that he's introduced. But I think the landscape has changed. I think that, you know, now you're talking about City, uh, Liverpool, Chelsea and Man United probably all being on a different level to us. Whereas during Wenger's days, there weren't four teams that were definitely better than us. You know, it was always maybe two or three and then you could sneak in. So I think the landscape changing in the Premier League as a whole has, has been key in actually Arsenal falling away. What, what's your thoughts, Faisal? Fairly similar. Um, I want to sit here and say Arsene Wenger would absolutely have got us into the top four last season. Um, but, you know, maybe not in reality. I think we can't forget the last season that he had, right? You know, the home home form was terrific. The away form was was abysmal. And had that have continued, it would have been very difficult for us to, to be sat here and sort of saying, yeah, definitely would have got top four. But you make a really salient point about playing style. You know, Arteta took Ozil out of the squad completely and when he was in the team we were doing quite well he took him out it only took a you know Emil Smithrow being thrust into the action on Boxing Day perhaps unexpectedly for us to realize that actually shit you know we need that number 10 sorry language um and I think I think Wenger would have been a bit more yeah a bit more fluid attacking lineup attacking team we probably would have maybe have got those six points that we fell short of at the at the end of last season but I think you know you're right I mean the, the three clubs four clubs that we talked about the richer clubs they are on a different planet, Harry, man. I mean, I, I look at City when I went to the Etihad and I saw them bring on Mares, Sterling, even Sinchenko. I thought to myself, you know, these guys, what a squad. They bought Grealish for 100 million. They wanted Kane. They wanted Ronaldo. You look at United. I mean, we joke about Oli not winning anything and they haven't, to be fair, but they've spent four or 500 million pounds in the last four years. Sancho, Varane, Ronaldo. I mean, eye-watering stuff, right? And, and then you look at, um Chelsea I mean what a window Lukaku these are top top players and they're only going to get stronger and the gap is just widening so no I don't yep. think Arsene would have done too much better the romantic in me says of course yes he would have been, would have been fabulous. <laughs> yeah no I agree with that and and I think the only club of those ones that we've mentioned that we're close to financially is Liverpool but they've given Jurgen Klopp a long time to build this squad of his I think you're starting to see I think you saw last season that they are, you know, they don't have the strength in depth like some of those others and they are one or two injuries away from being a very different team. And they managed to salvage last season by uh, sneaking into the top four. But it is, you know, they're the ones that we have to look at, in my opinion, and say, well, they gave a manager time. They recruited well. They sold well in order to continue their recruitment drive and bring in the likes of Van Dijk and Allison. And that is kind of the model for me, not looking at City, not looking at Chelsea, not looking at United. But just thinking on Klopp, I mean, it was really clear when he first arrived, the impact he had on Liverpool and the style that they were trying to play. The high press, not giving your opposition any any sort of rest of work rate in midfield and the chance creation machine that they became. And yeah, they got lucky with the sell of, of Coutinho and Suarez at the height of you know the Barcelona's wealth and the height of TV money. And they've really benefited from that. And we've just, you know, had really bad luck in terms of selling. But when I look at Arteta's teams, Harry, I don't see us chance creation. I, that's what I, that's what really frightens me. You don't score goals. You're not going to win games. You're not going to get points. So, mm -hmm. you know, even when they had like Origi, Shakiri, um, all the 
crap that they did have at the very start of when um of when uh Klopp, Klopp had arrived you know they were still creating chances that's that's the the system that he had um but for Arteta yeah not so confident. Yeah. It's always been like rock and roll football and we've played like sort of classical music football <laughs> yeah. or something. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a way of looking at it. Uh, final question. We're going to take this one from Patrick. Um, he says, your midfield two with Xhaka out, people think it will be Sambi and Partey, but I think he'll go for Elneny and Partey. What do you think Mikel Arteta will go with? Because I wouldn't put it past him picking Mohamed Elneny ahead of Sambi Lukonga. I think he's... Oh, God. I just don't want to say Elneny. I think he's going to go with Elneny because I think Arteta probably gets reminded of himself when he sees Elneny play. That sort of stable, calm, you're going to get a 6, 7 out of 10 from him sort of every week, reliable in that sense, but he does nothing for our game going forward. Um, what I've seen from Lukonga, glimpses of brilliance, uh, and what I've heard obviously on you know the breakdown and different articles that we've read, I'm, I'm sure you've read as well, is that he has that, that that progressive ball, that final third ball, he can create chances. We've seen that already. You know, he's made some really good passes going forward in in in, in the games that he's played. I want him to be brave. I want him to play Lukonga. Let Lukonga have a bit of an education in the Premier League this year. If this year is just going to be effectively a write-off, and we know deep down that we're not going to get top four, give him the minutes. You know, give give him the confidence. Let him adapt. Let him physically. You know, really uh, uh, adapt to the Premier League. And I think that's probably going to be more. F- good for him in the longer term than sticking with Elneny and Elneny I mean no just no please <laughs> no I just I don't want to see Elneny playing regularly for Arsenal yeah. I think I think I'll leave it there you're not the only one you're not the only one right we are gonna leave it there uh Faisal thank you so much mate it's been an absolute pleasure having you on uh just remind our listeners and viewers once again how they can uh, get involved in your channel uh, thanks again, Harry. It's been a real pleasure. I know I can talk for England, so apologies, guys, if I so bored you to death. Um, but yeah, no, Latte Firm, at Latte Firm on Twitter or Latte Firm on YouTube, um, offering something different to Harry and the guys who already have awesome content. Uh, but you can get like, you know, press pass features on there. You can get breakdowns on individual players and matches and the occasional live stream when I pluck up the courage to do so. So yeah, so come join me on Latte Firm fantastic stuff and all you need to do to get over there by the way is click on the link in the title i've tagged it in the title so if you click on that it will take you straight over there if you're listening via the audio platforms make sure you leave us a review if you're watching on youtube hit the like button because there's been over 400 of you watching us live uh, at one point while we were rambling on uh, about the mighty Arsenal. But we've only got 92 likes on the board. So let's try and get that up to at least 150. Uh, There's enough of you in the chat to do so. So please uh, get involved. Subscribe if you're new. And if you'd like to go one further and become a member to support us in bringing you daily content, you can do so by clicking on the join button below or the link in the description. We'll be back very, very soon with more Arsenal-related content. In fact, our brand new Arsenal Women's Podcast is going to be premiering on YouTube a little bit later on tonight. So get involved, check it out. I was joined by Casey Bourne from BT Sport, and we discussed uh, the brilliant win over Chelsea yesterday in the WSL, as well as the women's game in general. So it was a great chat. Check it out. Hope you enjoy it, and we'll be back very, very soon. Until then, Take care and ciao, as Mr. Conte would say. Goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler. 